Hey everyone, welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. It's Tuesday, week just getting going, and a lot to get into um, as this week rolls on. A lot of things are coming up across sports, and it's a crucial time, so very important that we keep all the messages going forward, positivity, the vibes, keep having the conversations about creating social change, justices, uh, making the most of our opportunities, and definitely using our platforms. Um, even if we, you know, are not doing it as often, we need to keep reminding ourselves of what we are trying to do. Um, you know, we all have goals and dreams, so we got to keep on pushing for it. And, you know, just start anywhere and make it big. So uh, just want to get that out there because, you know, it's the start of the new year and, most people are probably just trying to get into their routine and cycle and, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. Um, you know, just like most people in sports are doing, a lot of these athletes, uh, let's keep it going. Let's try to do as much as we can to make this a great year um, individually and as a society. So I'm going to recap the college football national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State, which has concluded the 2020 college football season. As we know, it was an unprecedented season, which a lot of conferences uh, really had to uh, find a way to make it happen, you know, despite all of the things that, you know, came up. You know, most conferences were able to start right away and play a lot of games others were you know dealing with a lot of decision making protocols and stuff like that uh, but we had a season in college football um, there's a lot of questions about whether or not you know it was fair for Ohio State to get in with only playing about six or seven games um, and the conversation only got even more uh, dicey and interesting based on the performance last night from Ohio State. But in all in all, we had a great college football season. Um, a lot of good teams showed up and played, and you know the rankings and stuff. I've already mentioned how the conversation will only grow for the college football playoff to be expanded, and I think that's likely to happen based on the recent things we've seen with the rankings and the games sort of schedule will happen so as I predicted Alabama won the national championship game last night I thought it would be a closer game um, than what we got Alabama put on a show an impossible show winning 52 to 24 over the Ohio State Buckeyes Now the Buckeyes had a lot of players that were ruled out for this game unfortunately and I said they've been dealing with a lot of COVID outbreaks this season but they were able to make it here somehow, some way. And, you know, most people may view that as a great thing, which it is. Um, and it should be, you know, looking at it as a great thing. I think the people who are looking at the fact that, oh, high State couldn't control their situation and this, this, and that. Well, like I said, you know, with the virus and the vaccine stuff, you know, coming out slowly. Things are bound to happen, but Ohio State persevered through a lot of different things this year. And yes, they played lesser games than most teams did. Um, and a lot of teams, you know, including uh, 
Clemson's coach Dabble Sweeney felt like Ohio State should have been ranked, you know, higher than some of the teams, but came down to margin of victory, strength of schedule, and Ohio State had played pretty well, I would say, to earn their way into into the into the national, you know, championship, you know, picture, and they beat Clemson in a game that which Clemson was favored by a lot of points. They beat Clemson, um, but yesterday was a different tale. I mean. The game in itself, I wish it was more competitive in the second half because you love to see a close game between two schools that have put forth really good seasons historically. But Alabama was the favorite all along this season. They did not slip up, did not lose their concentration. They just put on a show. They kept their focus. And Nick Saban, I believe, is now the winningest. Co- uh, you know, he's the you know, top coach now in college football with I think seven national championship, uh, you know, seven national championships. He is the winningest coach now in college football history in my mind, and I think he is in most rec- you know, history books as well. The way that he had these guys playing, uh, Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, uh, what a tremendous job. Um, and you know, Sarkeesian is on his way to Texas now, but. What a great job Ohio State did all season long with a, with a really top-notch offense and quarterback Mac Jones and Devonta Smith, who I'll get into. So, unfortunately for Ohio State in this game, Trey Sermon suffered a you know left collarbone injury, which he could not then play afterwards. Um, so they you know they had to play another running back, I think Master Teague the third, which. He did his best, but he didn't have the same kind of impact or production that Trey Sermon would have given Ohio State in this game. Uh, this game early on was was close. Uh, you know, Ohio State did match Alabama offensively and with pace. When they you know they scored 14 points, it was a tied game early on. But after that, it was all Alabama. Um, Ohio State's defense could not get a stop. Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, you know, Nigel Harris, all these playmakers on uh, Alabama really just showed up and played big time. Played big time, um, you know, just did not let the pedal off the gas. They, they, they brought it. They brought the fight, the energy that they were supposed to bring. And, I mean, Ohio State just could not match it. Uh, Justin Fields didn't turn the football over, but he just... Could not do as much. Now, injury aside, he has you know there's no excuses that he was saying, but you know he just wasn't himself. And I mentioned that he had to have a successional performance to be Alabama, but he couldn't do that enough to the point where he, he could keep pace with Ohio. Um, wait, sorry, he couldn't keep pace with Mac Jones and Alabama. Because Alabama just kept on turning on the Jets, getting points and points. And I had mentioned in this game that Ohio State's defense needed to limit. Alabama's possessions, they need to make them go on long play drives. The only long play drive that Alabama had was the opening drive of the game, which was 12 plays for 70 yards and a touchdown. Outside of that, Alabama scored within 7, 8, 9 plays. That is not a recipe for success. And Ohio State just got, you know, flat footed. They were trailing and trailing and they could not make a play. Could not make a play. Uh, they had to make Justin, Justin Fields throw a lot more than he anticipated the throw, probably. And it just did not work out for Justin Fields. He just could not make it happen. Um, they're just, you know, 
Jeremiah Rucker, their tight end, did not have a good game. Uh, Alabama just took, took him away pretty much. And you got to give credit to Alabama's defensive coordinator uh, and you know Nick Saban's game plan because they really kept Ohio State contained outside the numbers. And Justin Fields could not make too much happen um, in the running game because he was limited uh, in just trying to you know play from behind. And that, we know, is very hard for him to do. Mac Jones, on the other hand, what a great performance he had. I mean, close to 500 yards passing, um, five TDs. Three of them were to Devonta Smith, who had 12 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Uh, second half, he injured his finger, wasn't able to play as much. But Devonta Smith backed up his Heisman Trophy, you know, award. Uh, he came out and balled out. Uh, Ohio State could not do a good job. Sean Wade struggled in coverage uh, for Ohio State, and they could not get stops. They could not get enough stops in this game to give Justin Fields a chance even. Um, and he was playing from behind, and he could not do a whole lot uh, in terms of getting an offensive rhythm in this game, which really affected their whole game plan, um, to be honest. So, you know, Ohio State's defense, they weren't able to get too much pressure on Mac Jones, but... You know, Mac Jones has proven to be really decisive, very smart quarterback. He was playing well all year long, um, and what a great job he did. I mean, he made a lot of good throws, stepped up, you know, took, took the shots down the field, made it happen. Um, they were just more organized, more prepared, and the biggest thing of all, Alabama's experience and their depth really showed up in this game against Ohio State. And that's where Ohio State kind of with those players out. Not that this is any excuse, but Ohio State didn't have all their guys. And that's because they weren't able to get the situation or the COVID thing out of their way. Unfortunately, it happened, you know. And you would have loved to see a competitive game, yes. And maybe Clemson, of course, would have been a better matchup for Alabama. But you know, this is a college football playoffs. Anything can happen. Clemson, Ohio State played so well against Clemson that you thought they would have a small chance to win this game. Uh, but Alabama's offense was just much more consistent all season long compared to Ohio State's offense. Uh, they had just had more playmakers, more continuity, and they had more abilities to play in games that, you know, prepare them for this moment. Um, so, you know, the Buckeyes did struggle. They could not make this a game, unfortunately. Uh, I would have loved to see it be a kind of game, but Alabama just was dominating from start to finish this season. Um, you know, they just came out, converted on third down, stayed on the field a long time, uh, really took it to Ohio State. And Alabama deserves to be national champion this year. They played like it on offense and defense. And, you know, what a way for Nick Saban to win his, you know, seventh title. Uh, with a team that was primarily dominant on offense, which he never really had in his years in Alabama. Uh, and Mac Jones definitely, with his performance, has made himself even better in terms of uh, his availability, in terms of being eligible for the draft. And, you know, he's going to be a really good quarterback. Uh, Sarkeesian has only bolstered his case. Hopefully he'll be able to bring um, Texas to some kind of relevancy. And um, I think Alabama is hiring Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator, which should be interesting to see how that works out. Um, but 
a great college football season. Not the kind of one that we were expecting. Still had some games that were notable, some good games in the bowl games and throughout the season. Uh, the semifinals delivered and also really good way. Um, so, unprecedented season. Uh, a lot of teams really showed up in Alabama. Uh, once again proves the SEC is the most dominant conference in college football and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now with the season being concluded, um, what things will happen in the offseason, which players will elect to go for the draft, which players will you know, stay in, go for the senior year. All those things will start propping up by the end of February, uh, early March, so can't wait for that um, and it's going to be fun to see what happens uh, in terms of the conversation about expanding the postseason in college football playoffs because everybody probably agrees to some degree that uh, changes should be coming they need to happen um, because a lot of teams are doing really well and the recruiting is only going to get more and more intense so we got to see a lot of teams get a fair opportunity to play for the national championship So in this segment, I just want to talk a little bit more about some of the things that have been happening over the years in college football that needs more attention to, and I think um, it has to be something going forward. Hopefully that we'll see uh, change depending on how these institutions go about their off-season, their business. but. It's been a lot of talk and um, you know chatter behind the scenes about college football needing to be more open to giving black coaches the opportunities to be part of the programs in these top five conferences as a head coach and as the you know elected directors, I would say. And so, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong about this, I think predominantly there's a lot of you know white coaches. Um, in college football, there are some that are black and African American, um, other backgrounds as well. Um, but what I'm kind of highlighting is those coaches, those people who aren't given those opportunities to be considered um, for a higher position. And so I think uh, there's been a lot of uh, you know people behind the scenes in college football uh, that have been trying to make a, a platform and, and carve out the opportunities and resources to give black coaches the ability to really prove themselves and be able to be a qualified candidate for you know an athletic director position or as a head coach or an offensive coordinator. Um, and I think it's going to happen gradually but it starts with, with a change in approach. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of these board of trustees and chairmen at these universities, and most of them are all white. And um, you know, over the years, the, the thinking has changed. I would say, in terms of how they view players. So a lot of African players are are in college football, are being recruited, being brought up um, to play for the school. Um, but it's not about going towards the next level. And what I mean by that is giving coaches the ability 
to be promoted from within. I think many times we see in college football that a lot of these head coaches um, promote you know, some of their you know, positions out there and they, the first preference is always um, to hire someone who has worked with them, yes. But, you know, we should not have that kind of practice where, you know, we're predominantly in college football just hiring white head coaches and white assistant elect directors and things like that. I think everybody deserves a fair value. And so I think the hiring of black coaches and administrators needs to happen more so. Not saying that they should be given opportunities right away, but I think that too many times a lot of these institutions just kind of go with the norm and based on what we've seen throughout the year and with all the things that we saw Deion Sanders becoming a head coach now, being working as an offensive coordinator. So we want to see you know, more people in college football, black assistant coaches, get more recognition, more appreciation. And it starts with them giving them more of a platform, more of the resources to be successful they have a fair shot in the interviewing and hiring process because that takes a lot for the clubs to do and if college football is able to do this give the platform to black coaches who are trying to make a name for themselves either trying to join an elite power five school like Alabama or, or Ole Miss or LSU they should be given the fair amount of resources the opportunity to prove themselves to have a fair hiring process in my estimation and it's really important that um, you know overall we try as a you know as a sports and a world that we try to get equal equal opportunities to everybody and so I think college football needs to step up their hiring practices need to hear the voices of these athletes these uh, ex-coaches and players who are pushing for a change in terms of how black coaches are viewed, how they should be brought along to develop because this will open up opportunities for them as well and we want to see more diversity, more inclusion across every sport and I think college football needs to do that um, more so so than than anything Um, and they will probably you know find a way to do it um, it just all starts with change in direction um, and how these coaches view themselves, how they go about being their best. Um, you know, it's, it's going to come down to the change in thinking. And I think throughout the sports world, throughout the past year, we've seen a lot of more athletes, more coaches, where people speak up about a lot of conversations. And I think that needs to happen similarly when it comes to the hiring process not only in college football, but also in the NFL, Major League Baseball, which we're seeing with the hires of, you know, um, you know, Kim Nigg as Miami Marlins GM and Bianca Smith as a minor league coach for the Boston Red Sox. So I think we got to see more hiring practices, more diversity, more equal opportunity for a lot of coaches, especially the young coaches in college football that are on their way up, up the ranks at these schools. So in this next segment, I want to talk about a really nice story and then get into a little bit about the NFL, what happened yesterday, yesterday's news. 
Uh, so the Lakers obviously are, you know, at the top of the Western Conference at the moment. And a really nice story. Um, a nice player that's really come on for the Lakers uh, early on in this NBA season is Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, Tucker is, you know, 20 years old, shooting guard, um, really has come on. Um, I'm really impressed with his effort and his ability to play um, with the Lakers, you know, with LeBron, AD, and this roster. Overall, they've looked pretty good. Uh, you, can, you can see that he just enjoys the competition and playing. And he's making the most of the minutes that he's getting. So Taylor Horton Tucker was drafted in 2019. Second round pick by the Orlando Magic. He was traded to the Lakers on draft night from Chicago, Illinois. And he played for the Iowa State Cyclones at the college level. And he really came on the preseason. He had a very strong preseason and has really become an efficient rotational player for the Lakers. And it's good to see him you know, get out there, play well. Um, everybody has raved about his ability to absorb information, play to his best. Um, he's shown some flashes on defense as well. And, you know, overall you can see him just kind of put forth complete efforts, um, get better and better with his shot. And he may turn into something special for the Lakers as they have a really nice group of guys, uh, as we know. And he might be a quality piece down the stretch of this season. Uh, he did play in the bubble a little bit. Um, so he's a really interesting player to watch out for. I think he has some potential. Obviously, the Lakers are going to need their scoring on their bench at times when they, when they need LeBron to rest and AD to rest. So along with KP and you know, Dennis Schroeder and, you know, Wesley Matthews, Tal Horton Tucker, someone that definitely deserves some attention, some appreciation. And over the season, hopefully he'll get to improve and play more minutes, earn some more playing time. Uh, and he can really be a solid piece of this Lakers team, along with Kuzma, hopefully down the stretch of this NBA season. So now I'm going to transition to the biggest news that came out yesterday in the NFL. And that was one Doug Peterson was fired by the Philadelphia Eagles after five seasons. Um, just three years ago, he led the Eagles to their first ever championship as a franchise. Um, this was the first losing season, if I remember correctly, for Doug Peterson as the Eagles head coach. And it was a tough year for the Eagles, no doubt. Um, this kind of I had reference to and other people had reference to it as well on these sport networks, ESPNs, analysts, Dan Orlowski and um, you know some of the radio guys as well ESPN New York had referenced this Doug Pearson really um, as a coach you know he changed the way the Eagles were as a franchise three, you know, three to four years ago um, his play calling, his style with Nick Foles led them to a championship. And, you know, this this had to be done, but the way in which it kind of happened, unfortunately, 
wasn't fair to Doug Peterson, if I'm being honest. And I am a Giants fan, yes, and I'm talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, and but I'm just strictly referencing the point of Doug Peterson had really proven himself as a good play caller, um, and he had a good relationship with you know Nick Foles and this locker room early on I would say in his tenure I think the biggest thing that kind of had to happen um, you know was there was there was a change that needed to be made because the Philadelphia Eagles drafted Carson Wentz they invested a lot of money in Carson Wentz and now these days more so than ever the the players have more of a say more of an impact and how these front offices decide who to keep as head coach now that isn't the way that it should be but in this particular situation it's clear that the Eagles chose Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson now Carson Wentz regressed a lot this season and Doug Peterson gave him ample opportunity to prove himself as a starting quarterback but it wasn't working and Doug Peterson wanted to make some changes in Philadelphia. The owner Jeffrey Lurie did not like the vision that Doug Peterson had of this team. I think there was a report out there that Doug Peterson wanted to promote, I think, the passing coordinator or somebody to offensive coordinator. And I think the Eagles were looking for something. The owner was looking for more of a innovative kind of design or plan to bring in some other kind of you know, offensive-minded assistant or coordinator that could really bolster this team. So, you know, it came down to a power struggle between Doug Peterson, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and Carson Wentz. And Doug Peterson, um, you know, was on the Kansas City Chiefs before he became the Eagles head coach, and he was known for his play calling. Uh, he knows football. He knows how to call plays. He knows how to be... You know what he is, but the fact is that Doug Peterson, this particular year, he wasn't set up to succeed. He wasn't set up to succeed uh, due to the fact that Howie Roseman, the GM, did not put enough of a good roster in place. This team had a lot of aging veterans on this group. Their O line was still, you know, in the middle of the pack. Wide receiver wise, they did not draft a wide receiver until they drafted Rager. But Deshaun Jackson got hurt. Jeffrey was not himself. Ertz, you know, was okay. But the Eagles didn't have a whole lot to work with in the begin in the first place. But they were healthy to some degree. But this team underperformed expectations, and it all kind of falls back to the head coach. No matter how many things are going on with the NFL franchise, all the things that do happen, right or wrong ultimately go back to the um, the head coach of the team. And in this situation, it just seems like Doug Peterson throughout this year lost a lot of trust and confidence from the locker room. And it particularly happened in Hayden more so when Doug Peterson decided to pull Jalen Hurts from the game when they were in a competitive game competitive game against the Washington football team you know you had the score 17 to 14 and for some reason for some reason 
Doug Peterson made that decision. You know, he made that decision overall to, you know, put in Nate Southfield in that game when the Eagles had a chance to possibly win that game or, you know, make it interesting. But rather he pulled Jalen Hurts, who wasn't playing playing too bad. He was playing good enough to give them a chance to win the game. So he made that decision and there's a lot of you know reaction afterwards by a lot of NFL analysts, a lot of teams, a lot of players, a lot of coaches about you know the integrity of the game and what he did. And to be honest, Doug Peterson, whether he admits it or not, made that decision um, you know out of his own conviction. He was given you know he was given the opportunity to be the head coach of the Eagles and make the football decisions and he made that decision maybe thinking that he could get a spark from Nate Southfield but everybody knew watching that game that Jalen Hurts was the best chance to win and so he pulled that thing off and a lot of people were not happy a lot of Giant fans weren't happy and I'm you know at this point I'm kind of being objective about it but you know, part of me was like you know he did it for a reason and maybe because he just wanted to prove a point to that ownership that he could win with any quarterback other than Carson Wentz. I think that's what it came down to, other than Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts. Um, so that thing kind of happened, and you know, Doug Peterson is now out as a head coach of the Eagles. He's definitely going to get opportunities to be a coordinator or a head coach, possibly somewhere else. But this was all about the Eagles choosing the quarterback over the head coach. And they want to resurrect Carson Wentz's career. They felt like Doug Peterson and his relationship wasn't at the best. Carson Wentz was, you know, was reportedly requesting a trade when all this stuff went down with the benching. You know, with the whole benching, there was a lot of chatter about Carson Wentz, you know, requesting a trade, not being, not wanting to repair the relationship with Doug Peterson. And ultimately, the Eagles had to make this decision. Because of Carson Wentz not being happy, this team uh, being outraged and upset at the way that they played um, that Washington game. But the Eagles dealt with a lot of injuries this season. I'm surprised that the GM, Howie Roseman, isn't gone because he could not make the most out of this roster, could not give you know Doug Pearson the best resources available this season due to injuries and other things like that, um, but Peterson was a one, you know, great coach for the Eagles, um, and this just came down to the management and the direction of the team. And the Eagles felt like, you know, Carson Wentz can still be salvaged, maybe, and they can go in a different direction, still win without Doug Peterson. Time will tell, but I think this was a mistake by the, the Eagles to make. I think they should have rather explored the trade of Carson Wentz before doing this decision. But now all eyes are on Carson Wentz now because, you know, the whole thing was that he didn't want to work with Doug Peterson anymore. He's out of the equation. So the question is now, will Carson Wentz stay in Philadelphia and what head coach will they be able to bring in to re-energize and re-get his career back on track in the right direction because he's had a tough stretch um, for a while now and a lot of Philadelphia Eagle fans probably feel the same way.